as always, thank you for tuning in today to our Wednesday broadcast of Abiding in the Word with Dave Love, Senior Pastor of Calvary Castle Rock. Today, we will be continuing our study in the book of 1 Samuel. So let's join Pastor Dave now. Now there's something I find very interesting here that was brought to my attention as I was studying this is that um, the word hand is used like five times in this chapter, um, or four times in this chapter. Uh, it's used in verse 3 twice, it's used in verse 4, and then it's spoken of again here in verse 8. Uh, and I find this a little bit, uh, well not a little bit, I find it very, very fascinating. There's an emphasis on the hand here. Uh, it, it says in verse 3, what have you on hand? Uh, Give me five loaves into my hand. Verse 4, there's no common bread on hand. And then here in verse 8, we have David asking for a spear or sword. Is there any on hand, a spear or sword? The hand um, speaking here is very, very interesting. When priests were ordained, there would be a filling of their hands. There would be a filling of their hands. During their, this ritual, there was a little literal filling of the hands. I want you to go to Exodus chapter 29. This is when the priests are first consecrated, Aaron and his sons. And we're going to see things being put into their hands. It would be a sign to them once they're through this that they could now be, they were ordained as a priest. They could now do the sacrifices and also eat from the sacrificial meat and breads and things like that. But here in Exodus chapter 29, verse 19, it says this. It says, You shall take the other ram, and Aaron and his sons shall put their hands on the head of the ram. Then you shall kill the ram, and take some of its blood, and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron, on the tip of the right ear of the sons, on the thumb of the right hand, and on the big toe of the right foot, and sprinkle the blood all around the altar. The whole thing of, uh, of sprinkling of the blood and all that is to set it apart. It is now holy uh, unto the Lord. And so the whole taking the blood and putting it on the right ear and then on the, the right thumb and then on the right big toe was a, a way for God to be able to show them that these people here, these priests have been set apart for the Lord's service. And so they should hear differently, hence the putting of the, the uh, blood on the right ear. You should hear differently. You should now hear from the Lord. You should now have have a work ethic that is different. You're now working for the Lord. And you should have a walk that is different. It is a walk for the Lord. And and, and just hearing that and seeing it right here, you could see that, well, you know what? This is a lot like we as believers are today. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've been set apart. You now hear the Lord, hear what the Spirit has to say is said time and time again in God's Word. And so we are being called to listen to God, not to the world. When it comes to working, we work as unto the Lord, the Bible says, and that we're supposed to walk with God and people should see a difference. They should see a difference. And so he goes on and says in Exodus 29, 21, he says, And you shall take some of the blood that is on the altar, some of the anointing oil, sprinkle it on Aaron and his garments, on his sons and his garments on his sons with him. He and his garments shall be hallowed, his sons and his sons' garments with him. Also you should take the fat of the ram, the fat 
tail, the fat that covers the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, the two kidneys of fat on them, the right thigh, and one loaf of bread, one cake made with oil, and one wafer from the basket of the unleavened bread that is before the Lord. And you should put all these where? In the hands of Aaron and in the hands of his sons. You shall wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. You shall receive them back from their hands and then burn them on the altar as a burnt offering, as a sweet aroma before the Lord. It is an offering made by fire to the Lord. If you go over just to Leviticus here real quick. Leviticus chapter 8. It's just the next book over. Leviticus chapter 8, verse 25. Then he took the fat and the fat tail and the fat that was on the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, the two kidneys, their fat, and the right thigh. And from the basket of the unleavened bread that was before the Lord, he took one unleavened cake, a cake of bread, anointed with oil, one wafer, and put them on the fat on the right thigh. And he put all these in Aaron's hands and in his son's hands and waved them as a wave offering before the Lord. Then Moses took them from their hands Burn them on the altar of the burnt offering. They were consecrated offerings for a sweet aroma. That was an offering made by fire to the Lord. So the thought here is this word coming up time and time again. And the phrase that's you, do you have something to put in my hands? Is that a lot of scholars will tell you that what is taking place here, it suggests something out of the ordinary and it suggests some sort of ordination is taking place here. When Saul attended the feast where Samuel anointed him in 1 Samuel 9 through chapter 10, he received the priestly portion of the sacrifice, one of the signs that confirmed that this kingly appointment was the gift of bread. So not only is he taking the priest's portion, but one of the other signs is that he's going to be given bread. And he was. And so something very similar here is happening at Nob by the priest Ahimelech. He fills David's hands with bread, a sign that the kingdom was shifting to him. And I find this very interesting because David is thinking, it's not shifting to him. I know I've been promised this by God. I know that Samuel even anointed me. But this kingdom that's supposed to be given to me is crumbling in my hands. Everything is falling apart. Everything I see says not kingship. Death is but a step away from me. I find this interesting because when you don't believe the promises of God, it's because you start to believe what you now see. You're not walking by faith. You're now walking by sight. And when you walk by sight, it's going to scare the living daylights out of you. And when you start walking by sight and you start walking by fear, man, you're going to end up in a very, very bad place. And I find it very interesting here that because David begins to doubt God, he begins to fear, fear begins to rule his life, he begins to make decisions based on fear, well, it's not long before you find yourself in the wrong company. And what does David do from here? He flees to the land of the Philistines. And he goes to Achish, the king there, in the land of Gath. And so... Let's read this here in verse 10. Then David arose, fled that day from before Saul, and went to Achish, the king of Gath. Who else came from Gath? Goliath. David killed Goliath, I don't know, one, two, three years earlier. 
It's still fresh on their minds, I'm sure. And yet he goes there? Why on earth would you run there? Is he thinking, well, certainly Saul won't follow me here. Well, I would gather you're correct, you know. But why on earth would you go to Gath? And I don't, I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But I would submit to you, if Goliath was such a great champion, such a great champion, is it possible that the king of Gath, Achish here, that his time is short? That if Goliath keeps going out and winning these battles, and if he had defeated David, and when he came back to Gath, do you think the people would still want Achish to be king? I'm just asking the question. I don't know. Is it possible, as David went to Gath, that Achish is probably glad that he killed Goliath? Is that a possibility? I have no idea. All I know is that David goes to Gath. Dude, what are you thinking? And so it says here, David arose, fled the day before Saul, and went to Achish, the king of Gath. So he is purposing to see the king. He's going there to see Achish. Now we're going to find out in a few chapters from now that David and his mighty men, his six-man army, actually goes and sees Achish and asks for an area where he could live, and Achish gives it to him. And so... There is some sort of friendship that is going to be developed here if it wasn't somewhat developed the first time coming or something. There is some sort of relationship that is taking place here. And it says, so he goes and it says, and he went to Achish, the king of Gath, and the servants of Achish said to him, is this not David, the king of the land? Whoa. I thought Saul was king. What is it they know that for some reason Saul can't seem to understand? But they're able to recognize the fact that David has this anointing, that David is supposed to be the next king. They seem to understand that. Is this not David, the king of the land? Did, not, did they not sing of him to one another in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousand and David his ten thousands? Now David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So... Did it take 24 hours for this to get back to him? Are we speaking a few days there, a few weeks there? Because I'm sure that when you go to see a king, there's protocol like anywhere else, say, we'll, we'll put your request in. But you don't get to see him right this instant. And then maybe he has to wait around a while. But then he's hearing the, the kind of like the words that are being said, and, and now he's getting kind of uh, afraid again. And so he changed his be- behavior before them. He pretends madness in their hands, scratched on the doors of the gate, and left his saliva falling down on his beard. He changed his behavior because he wants them to think of him now differently. He doesn't want them to think of him as a mighty warrior. He now wants them to feel sorry for him, have pity on him. This mighty warrior, look at him now. Saliva just 
dripping down his beard, scratching at the gate. This is Academy Award winning stuff right here. Because it says, then Achish said to his servants, look, you see this man is insane. Why have you brought him to me? Have I need of a madman that you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? Wow. Interesting. Very interesting. There's a lot to be learned here. As a matter of fact, David told us what we can learn from this. And you know where he told us that we can learn from this? Psalm 34. Go to Psalm 34. You know, it's funny because I'm trying to, you know, as I'm going through this, I'm going, okay, Lord, give me a nugget. Give me this. Give me that. You know, Lord, show me what it is that you're trying to say here in chapter 21. And the Lord's just saying, I I, I don't really have to tell you anything. I already told it to David. And it's in Psalm 34. I, I don't know if you have this as your heading. For Psalm 34, it says, The happiness of those who trust in God. A psalm of David when he pretended madness before Abimelech who drove him away and he departed. Wow. Okay, David, let's see what you gleaned from this, from this episode. Because if you go into chapter 22, it shows that he goes to Abdullam, a cave which is about 10 miles away. So he's kind of in the midpoint between uh, the land of Philistine and, and, uh, and Israel and, and this is where everybody starts to come to his father, his, his brothers, and, and other people. And this is where he begins to kind of like gather his army, uh, a bunch of uh, near-do-wells and, and things like that. And, and so it's probably in this cave that he's reflecting back. I'm not saying he wrote this psalm the day after, whatever it is, but he's reflecting back of his time when he went to Gath. And so this is what it says. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be on my mouth. That wasn't going on when he was running from Saul and he went to Nob and he went to Gath. He was not doing that. But one of the things he did learn through that experience is going, I'm going to do that from now on. I can see that that I was very depressed. I got to a very low, low place. I'm pretty sure when he left Gath, that one of the things he did as he reflects on his behavior in Gath, he's gone, I'm not really proud of that behavior. That was not my most glorious moment in life. And I don't know about you, but I've been to a place before when I haven't been walking with the Lord that I ended up in a place where I go, yeah, that's not my most proudest moment in my life. And I'm pretty sure that David could point to this time in Gath as one of those moments he's going, yeah, I'm not real proud of that. That wasn't my best time in life. And he's learned, I don't care what comes my way from now on, he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. When's the easiest time when praise can be upon your mouth? Hey, when things are good. When's the hardest time? When you're feigning madness before a king. He says that's not going to happen again. I will continue to praise the Lord. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble 
shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. That was a very fearful time for him. We saw him fearing uh, uh, Saul um, and running from Saul. And even when um, Saul found him there in Ramah, and they came, three sets of soldiers came for him, and he's with Samuel. And what is it that God did? He all of a sudden grabbed hold of them, and they began to prophesy and worship him. As they came to arrest him, take him, he was able to see how God took hold of them and stopped him and made them instead prophesy and worship him. So Saul hears about it. He sends some more soldiers to get him. Same thing happens. He sends another group of soldiers. Same thing happens. David's able to see three times that God stopped what Saul wanted to do. And then Saul himself came. And then God grabbed hold of Saul again. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And he stripped himself down naked, bare for all to see. And he worshiped and he also prophesied before God. David saw that. And he still was fearful and ran from there here to Nob. I got to tell you something. I would like to think if I saw God stop four times my enemies in my tracks as I'm there with Samuel, I would like to think, dude, I'm staying. What, What can he do? I just saw this. But David doesn't come to that conclusion. And when he sees that Saul is being delayed, he's going, now I can make my escape and I want to go, why? You're in the hand of God. He will protect you. But David is now living his life by sight, not by faith. And he's forgetting all the promises that God made to him. And God's going to let him run because he has a lot of things he needs to learn while he's on the run. And he's going to have a lot of things he's going to need to learn during this time of affliction and difficulty. And so it goes on and he says here in Psalm 34, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. We're going to see David once again cry out to the Lord. We're going to see David once again obey what God is telling him to do. We're going to see that and then we're going to see some shortcomings again, you know. But he is learning here. He's learning. They looked to him and were radiant and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. This is one of the things that David is going to learn is that he's learning here that God has his hand upon him and is going to protect him. And the angel Lord encamps all around all those who fear him and delivers them. Delivers them doesn't mean that he doesn't keep bad things from happening to you. Delivers them means that through the bad things that you're going to be okay because the Lord is with you. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. It's only one of the five senses here that you actually take in. You receive and it becomes a part of you when you taste something. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. God will provide. God will provide. The reason why David has such great need during this 
in chapter 21 is because he keeps running. And he's not in the place where God wants him to be. And so if you stop, if you put yourself in the place where God wants you to be, hey, he'll be the provider of your every need. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Man, has he been a liar face through this whole chapter chapter 21 or what? What are you doing here all alone? Well, you know, I'm on the king's business. Shh, secret business. Dakota ring stuff, you know. And my my, uh, my buddies are right around the corner over here. Oh, we'll rendezvous at 0600, you know. And he's, he's just making it seem like, you know, important, important official business. And, and he's just lying through his teeth, you know. And uh, have you kept yourself clean? Oh, yeah, me and my men, three days, we've been away from our wives. And he just keeps going. He keeps lying and lying. And so he knows about this. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. He knows it's not helpful. It didn't help his situation. And that not only does he say it, now he has to deceive by feigning madness. It just got worse. And as we're going to see from next week, his deceit and his lies are going to cost 86 priests their lives. When we lie, when we sin, it doesn't just affect us. There's always a ripple effect. There's always a ripple effect. Depart from evil, do good, seek peace, pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. To cut off the remembrance of them from the earth, the righteous cry out, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. He does deliver. But in order to be delivered out of your trouble, you have to have trouble. He doesn't promise you you're not going to have trouble. But when trouble comes, he will deliver you. Eyes on him, watch him work. Watch him work. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. Save such as a contrite spirit. It speaks of humility, being broken before him. Crying out to him. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. So at one point he said, I'll deliver you through the trouble. And don't be thinking, okay, well then I shouldn't have trouble. It says right here, many are the affliction of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. He'll walk us through it. He'll walk us through it. He guards all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked. Those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, the Bible says. My eyes are on the Lord. I'm going to trust Him. I'm not going to face a judgment of condemnation. But if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, that's exactly what you have waiting for you, is condemnation, judgment. Because you haven't put your faith in the one person that showed His great love for you. Neither death nor by dying on the cross for your sin. Let's pray. 
Well, that's all we have time for today on this Wednesday edition of Abiding in the Word with Pastor Dave Love. Tune in tomorrow as we continue our study in 1 Samuel. If you live in the area of Castle Rock and are looking for a church to call home, be sure to come by and visit with us. We meet Saturdays at 5 p.m. and our Sunday service times are at 9 and 11 a.m. A combined junior and senior high class meets at 5 p.m. on Saturday evenings. On Sunday mornings, high school meets during the 9 a.m. service and the junior high meets at the 11 a.m. service. Our Young Adults Ministry, Arise, meets every Friday at 6.30 p.m. at Calvary Castle Rock. Child care is offered for all of our weekend services. Calvary Castle Rock is located right off of I-25 and East Wolfensburger Road, directly behind Jack in the Box and the Shell Gas Station. For more information about us or this radio ministry, please visit our website at calvarycr.com or download our free mobile app from the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can also call the church office at 303 303- 663-2514. Thank you again for joining us today. Until our next time together, we want to encourage you to always be abiding in the Word of God. Abiding in the Word of God.